Good morning. So if you were a child of the 70s or 80s like me, you remember an amazing toy. They were called Weeble Wobbles. Anybody? And some of you? All right, for those of you that are a lot younger, you're like, I wasn't even born then. They're like, all right, pay attention. This is what you missed out on right here. A weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Put them in their car and camper, you can take them all around. Look at that camper, that camper's Look amazing. Look them weebles wobble. Weebles wobble in the camper, weebles wobble on the ground. Weebles will wobble anywhere you put them, but you can't keep a weeble down. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. I had no idea that weeble wobbles were camper, a southern toy. Furniture, boat, bike, and four weebles from romper room. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Weeble wobbles, man, I thought these things were like the greatest, okay? Because you could like play with them, knock them over, but they would always come back up. And we have uh, a human weeble wobble that has been created. Uh, I saw it on YouTube like uh, two weeks ago, and I, I have to show you what that looks like. Does that not look amazing? I want one so bad. I was literally trying to figure out how I could make that to have on stage for today, but it just, it, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. Uh, weeble wobbles, wobble, but they don't fall down. And I think a lot of times when we see like heroes of the faith and like scripture, uh, maybe even people that, that, that you kind of knew or knew from afar, like they, it feels like they've got that kind of faith, right? The kind of faith that like, even when the winds of life begin to blow and like things get crazy, like they don't, they don't fall over. Uh, but I think most of us probably know some folks, maybe have some friends, um, that their faith hasn't been weeble-wobble-like. And, and so there's this tension inside, right? Because we see folks that it's like, man, it doesn't seem no matter what happens, like they hold strong. And then we have other friends that, like for whatever reason, maybe they used to believe and now they just don't really anymore or they were unsure enough to really kind of stop practicing what they believe. Now, you see, all of us have uh, weights in the world. Weights that like rest on our shoulders, habits, hang-ups, hurts, disappointments, doubts, questions. And, and the song goes, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. But with the human weeble wobble that we just saw, like the tension that I was feeling when I was writing this message is that that's not always true. Sometimes they do fall down. Because if you kept building those pipes up higher and higher, and if you kept putting more and more weight at the top, when the weight at the top becomes greater than the weight at the bottom, the thing's going to fall over. And so I was really wrestling this past week, like, all right, God, like, we're talking about this idea of waiting, not wavering. First of all, I realized that I, I was the one who came up with that title, and, and it's actually a terrible title, uh, because wavering is actually what we're supposed to do. Uh, I realized that as I spent more time in the text. The issue's not wavering, the issue's toppling. And I don't want to sit here and tell you that the, the struggles, the pains, the disappointments that you've had in life, the, the hardships, that weight that sits up here, I'm not going to try to minimize that or say that it doesn't matter or just trust God and everything's going to be okay. 
You see, for some of you, this feels so heavy that you think you're going to topple at any moment. What I think God's asked me to do this morning is to share a few stories and three things we can learn from those stories from Scripture that don't minimize what's up here, but actually begin to unveil the weight of God beneath us. Uh, we just sang a song about uh, God's glory. Glory gets talked about a lot at Christmas time. It's a great concept. Uh, in the Old Testament, the word for glory is the word kavod, and it just means God's weightiness. That he's big and awesome and weighty. And so I don't want to try to get you to think that the struggles, the pains, the difficulties, the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups, whatever it is, the doubts that you've experienced or are experiencing in life don't matter or that they don't exist or that we can somehow minimize them. What I want to do this morning is try to unveil the weightiness, the greatness of God. Because when the bottom is shown to be heavier than the top, yeah, you'll blow. You'll waver at times, but you won't topple over. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd love you to open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, three short passages of Scripture that are really three characters that I want to look at. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Um, they'll make sure to grab, you can grab a Bible and follow along with us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. I'd like to start in uh, verse 26. Uh, actually, I'm just going to start in verse 28. But this is basically the, the birth of Jesus being foretold to Mary. Okay? So verse 28 actually picks up and says, The angel went to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, you've got to understand again, who Mary is at this point in life. Uh, most women in first century Israel probably uh, would have been married around the time of like 13, 14, 15, which to our ears in, you know, 2018 sounds like, oh my goodness, that's so young, because I have a 12-year-old daughter, and I'm like, oh, but like, like the thought of her being married next year is not cool, Okay. In first century Israel, it would have been more normal, but, but let's also not assume that just simply because the culture was different that Mary was uber mature and old. I mean, she's still a 13, 14-year-old girl. And, and an angel comes to her, right? Which, anytime you meet a supernatural being, trust me, like, it's terrifying. And so she freaks out a little bit. And they're like, you would expect that, right? She freaks out a little bit. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. So she's like, what is going on? All right, so now the angel's like, don't, don't, don't freak, don't freak. I got good news for you, you found favor with God. And the angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Mary's like, hold up, verse 34, that's in the Greek. <laughs> How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since... I'm a virgin. She's like, I might only be 13, 14 years old, but I know a thing or two, okay? Like, you don't get pregnant when you're a virgin. Like, that's not how it works, angel. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And Mary says, which is shockingly, beautifully mature, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Um, it's easy for us to think about the story of Mary hearing these words, uh, this side of the story, right? Like in 2018. You're like, Mary's awesome. Like she got to be the mother of Jesus. Right? We talk about her in scripture. She got to see him grow up and like resurrect and be the savior of the world. Like how awesome, Mary. But like you got to think back to what Mary, amen. <laughs> you got to think back to what Mary was really feeling. I mean, what must have been going through her mind at that time? How, how am I going to explain this to my parents? How am I going to explain this to my fiance? What's society going to think of me? How's this going to look? And Joseph, right? He's a good dude, but he's like, uh, say what you want, but I know how pregnancy happens, and it ain't for me. So he decides he's going to actually leave her like quietly, he doesn't want to publicly shame her any more than what's about to happen is going to. And then an angel has to come to him and tell him. But think about what Joseph would have felt too. What, what is this going to mean? And, and, and we forget what happened too when, when Mary is pregnant with Jesus and they have to go to a census and she has to give birth alone without family around because it's Joseph's hometown. And, and then within a short time, they actually have to flee as refugees. Because Jesus' life was literally in danger. Parents had to pick up their baby and run to another country. Like, like we forget sometimes because we read it on the other side, but how does Mary hold on to her faith? You, You can't tell me that she didn't have questions from time to time. You see, because she would have grown up with an understanding of what Messiah was going to be, Right? Very much the same as any other Jewish person that was expecting Jesus to come riding into Jerusalem on a stallion, right? Sword drawn, an army behind him, kick the tail of the Romans and finally take over, rule the earth like they always knew was their destiny. And and instead, she is there when he is crucified, when not only Rome gives up on him, but his own people turn their backs on him and shout crucified. She's there when that happens sits in darkness for those three days, wondering, God, what is going on? It's easy to sit on the other side and forget what she must have been feeling. Uh, Mary's our first character. Uh, Flip over with me just another chapter to chapter 2. We're going to learn about another character. His name is Simeon. Uh, You can pick up the story in verse 25. Uh, Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to the temple because they're going to dedicate him to the Lord and uh, do what is necessary. Give the necessary sacrifices. And, and, and while they're there, this happens. It says in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. 
he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Here's this old dude. We don't know how old he is, but we know he's old enough that he's ready to die. Okay? So he's old. And it says that he has been waiting, longing for the consolation of Israel, for Israel to be consoled. We don't know all of Simeon's story. Okay? Uh, there's a little bit of background that we can kind of understand simply because we, we understand the history of what's going on at the time. But here's this guy who's righteous and devout. Loves God, okay? And he's waiting for God to do something amazing. For Israel to be consoled. Now, it would have been very easy for him to have given up long before because quite honestly, throughout his lifetime, it had to look like things were getting worse and worse and worse. Like, Israel is not living in freedom. In fact, they're being ruled by Rome, okay? And, and fairly harshly ruled by Rome. Not only that, but the religious leaders of his time are self-absorbed and self-righteous, and, and they're not doing, and we know at least that much about what's going on in Simeon's kind of world. But the people that I have always interacted with that have a deep desire for Jesus to do something, have a deep desire for Jesus to return and make things right, it's usually because they have a deep wound. Someone in their life that, that they can't fix. Someone in their life that they know needs, something needs to change and, and, and they've prayed and, and, it, and it hasn't happened. I didn't used to want to go to heaven. Like, I, like I'm always like, yeah, that's cool when we get there. Like, I'm sure it'll be great, right? Cheesecake factory whenever I want it. It's going to be awesome. But I like life. I've always enjoyed life. I think life's fun. So I'm like, hey, let me enjoy life for as long as I can. Like someday, you know, I'll get to heaven. It'll be good, you know. But, 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 but if it wants to wait, that's fine. I used to like actually pray before I was married. Jesus, please don't come back until after my honeymoon. <laughs> Who hasn't? Amen. But um, there's things that I've prayed for that Jesus hasn't answered. Think things, that I, things that I want. Jesus to do that aren't even for me but for people that I love you see I, I wonder when I read Simeon's story if, if maybe Simeon using my holy imagination maybe wasn't the father of a prodigal son I, I don't know how a man has that kind of longing for God to come and make things right who hasn't experienced some deep intense disappointment that he can't fix himself, that he knows only God can do. And Simeon longs, longs for God to come and console Israel. And I think actually to come and console his own heart. Simeon's our, our second character. Flip over just a couple more verses. Verse 36. Verse 36, we read these words. This also happens that same day. 
while they're there at the temple, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Uh, the NIV actually says until she was 84. Now, assuming she was married around 13, 14 years old, she's married for seven years, that means she's probably about 20, 21, and now she's 84. So that's probably around 60, 65 years, somewhere in that ballpark, okay? Uh, the NIV, though, um, actually goes with the translation that most translators think is probably the less likely. Uh, most translators actually think that the text should read that she had been a widow for 84 years. So that would actually place her around 104, 105 years old. So when the text says very old, it ain't lying, okay? Anna has been a widow for at least 60-some years, potentially 84 years. I don't know that the number matters that much other than to say that's a really long time. We continue reading. It says, She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What was Anna's longing? Again, it's easy to look on the other side and be like, Anna gets mentioned in the Bible. She actually got to see Jesus. But what about all that time leading up? I mean, if you want to talk about somebody who could have said God doesn't work, right? Following God doesn't work. I mean, Anna would have been your poster child. Married, seven years, and her husband dies. And not only, of course, is that a tremendous loss relationally, uh, but, but that also meant in first century Israel that uh, her security was gone, her safety was at risk. I have to imagine that there were days that Anna is in the temple and a family, a husband and wife, and their two young kids comes in. And maybe he sounds similar to the voice that her husband had, and it just triggers her. God, why? Do you think Anna maybe ever wanted to get married again? Maybe to experience the intimacy, the emotional intimacy, the physical intimacy, the relational intimacy, to be held again by someone to tell her that she's beautiful and lovely. And not only that, but it, it, the text seems to indicate that after her husband dies, she, she goes to the temple immediately, which means that she didn't have children to raise. Now, seven years into marriage, in first century culture, most women would have had children if they could. It would have happened by then. And, and, and so it seems to also be this real potential for her to have not been able to bear children. Maybe another massive, God, why? Where are you? You see, it's easy for us to read things on the backside, but we've got to stop and look at what actually happened for all those years. They're humans just like us, and they had to have asked the questions, God, why? And where are you? And and that was big weight, way up high. So why didn't Anna topple? Why didn't Simeon topple? Why didn't Mary topple? Well, I, I think the answer is actually found in their stories. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, to be honest. 
right? Why, why some people wobble without toppling? Um, partly because I knew I was going to be teaching on this, but, but also because um, I have my own doubts and questions. Things, things that, I, that I wish God could answer for me. Ways that, that I know what God's word says that I don't experience in my own reality right now. And, and, I, and I, I ask God, God, what's up? And where are you sometimes? And, and what I found is that God's not afraid of my doubts. He's not afraid of my questions. He doesn't always answer them in the way that I wish that he would. He doesn't always answer them as quickly as I wish that he would. And some he just hasn't answered at all yet. And I don't know when he's going to. And I also have been wrestling with this topic because I know I'm a broken man. There, there's, there's sin in my life that I'm so ashamed of and, and things that I feel like I, I should have like mastered years ago that still to this day will rear their ugly heads and devour me and I, and I feel ashamed and, and vulnerable. And There's things that I've prayed for that, that I know God ought to answer. I'm like, God, this is in your, like, this has to be in your will, Lord. Like, I'm not praying for something that's just selfishness. I'm not even praying for things for myself, God. I'm praying for things for other people that I, I know you ought to answer, and God, and he doesn't answer them. Not, not in the timing that I want, or maybe not in the way that I want or expect. And man, they're, they're, it's like, it, I have to ask the question, how, how do we wobble and not topple? And what I found is, is, is it's not by trying to minimize these things up here. <laughs> it's by trying to unveil the weightiness of God. That he's bigger, stronger, heavier than anything that's up here. And I started to realize as I was reading these three stories that, that there's some things that happen in these stories that I think help us to unveil the weightiness of God. Uh, the first one we actually find in Mary's story. If we, if we jump back to chapter 2, verse 19, we read something that Mary does. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's talking about the fact that the angel came and talked to her. The angel came and talked to her husband. The angels came and uh, uh, talked to shepherds who then came and like praised Jesus and like crazy stuff was happening, right? And it says that Mary treasured all of these things up she pondered them in her heart. Uh, I heard one little kid get it a little bit mixed up and says, Mary treasured all these things and pounded them into her heart. <laughs> oh, that's actually maybe just as good of a translation, okay? You see, what it is is that Mary remembered what God had done in her life. That's one of the ways that she unveiled the weightiness of God and would wobble but never topple. You see, and that's true for me too. I hope that it's true for you, that, that you've actually had real experiences of God in your life. Look, I remember when, when God just captured me. I don't know how to describe, like I talk about this, you probably get sick of me talking about this, but when I was like 16, 17, God just captured my heart. I don't know how to describe it in either way. I don't have great words for it. It wasn't just a moment. It was over the course of months and, and years, but God captured me, and all of a sudden I started to want to know him more and, and, and engage with his word, and I wanted to obey him and follow him, and I was willing to do whatever it meant to do that, and I can't forget that, even if I wanted to. I've seen God do this pattern with me where he gives me spiritual blessings at times when I feel like I deserve them the least, a crazy pattern, and, and it's happened way too many times for me to just to think that there's 
any other explanation other than God's grace and his love. I've experienced his love. I've experienced his grace so many times that I'm like, I can't forget it. In John 6, uh, Jesus gives one of his most difficult teachings. He's talking to the disciples, just, not just the 12, but a bunch of disciples that were following him at the time. And he says, you need to, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like cannibalism, vampire kind of stuff. All right, at least that's what it sounds like. In fact, some of them, they don't really get it that Jesus isn't talking literally. And they're like, whoa, man, this, I, like, that's too hard. Like, I can't, I'm out. And they walk away. And Jesus, it says, looks at the 12 and says, will you leave too? And, and, and Peter, <laughs> of course, Peter, right? He's the one that's always the big mouth. Uh, a lot of times he says really stupid stuff. But sometimes he says amazing stuff. And this was one of those times. Because Peter looked at Jesus and says, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Man, that's how I feel. Like I've experienced too much. Like I couldn't forget it. I couldn't pretend that it wasn't real. I couldn't pretend that it doesn't exist. You see, the first way that I think we unveil the weightiness of God is by remembering what God has done in our lives. Mary treasured up all those things so that when it was hard, when she's fleeing to Egypt, when Jesus is being crucified, when her faith feels like it's really top-heavy, she remembered the weightiness of God because of what God had done in her life. The second thing actually comes from Simeon and Anna's story. Uh, it says about Simeon in verse 25 that he was righteous and devout. Do you know what it means to be devout? It just means to do the things that you believe, even when you don't feel like it. You, you, you just keep doing it. Uh, Anna, it says, um, never left the temple verse 37, but worship night and day, fasting and praying. Anna does the same thing. Do you think she always felt like that? Do you always feel like praying? Do you always feel like praising God? You just lost your job. Oh, let me go crack open the Bible, right? Do you always feel like getting up and going to church? Admit it, 11 o'clock makes it a little bit better though, right? Am I right? Yeah. No. And there's no way that Anna did or that Simeon always did. I mean, remember, they had long stretches of waiting before God revealed what he was up to. Mary, the same thing. I've got the same thing, and I know you do too. We don't always feel like it. My, my neighbor, um, in my neighborhood, we have a lot of uh, rocks in our, like, ground. And uh, sometimes it's like small, usually it's like little small rocks, Okay. But sometimes they're not always really small. And my neighbor had a rock that just the, like, the little top of it was showing. And it was in a spot where he wanted to redo some uh, landscaping. And so he started digging it out. It was like shovel, shovel, shovel. And before you know it, he had dug out like this huge thing. And the rock still, he couldn't see the edge of it. <laughs> He's like, what is going on here? He kept digging and kept digging. And finally realized it was, he couldn't dig it out by hand. He actually had to call somebody who had uh, uh, like a little bobcat thing with a backhoe on it that came in that wound up digging this huge hole. The rock wound up being like this by like this, massive rock that all he saw was like just a little bit. He did get it out of there. That's how I think it is every time that we choose to go to church and we don't feel like it. It's another shovel that we get rid of that begins to show how big God is. Every time that, that we decide to open up the Bible we don't, when we don't feel like it, when we're not sure what God is going to reveal to us that day, every time that we decide to pray instead of figuring out how we're going to handle life on our own, every time that we decide to serve somebody, 
Every time that we decide to engage in real biblical community where we open ourselves up to truly be known, it's like one more shovel where we remove the dirt and all of a sudden we begin to realize, wow, this God of ours is big. The final way that I think we see God's glory, his weight, is actually in kind of an unlikely place. Uh, Shepherds, they were kind of known as like the bottom of the barrel, okay? They, they, They weren't like the most esteemed members of society, and yet God comes to them. The angels appear, and they tell that Jesus the Messiah has been born, and tell them to go and tell others, all right? And we actually pick up that story in uh, chapter 2, verse 15, says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You see, the third way that we unveil the glory, the weightiness of God is by hearing the testimony of others. You see, I, I hold on to the things that I know God has done in my own life. I pay attention to that. I, I work even when I don't feel like it. Shovel load by shovel load of going to church and engaging with God and being in community and serving. Like That helps to begin to open it up. But you know another beautiful, powerful way that we begin to open up and recognize, unveil the size of God's weightiness, His glory, is by hearing the stories of others. And that's what happens with the shepherds. In fact, they were instrumental in Mary's own recognizing of how big God actually was. And so this morning, I, I just... I wanted to share with you uh, a testimony uh, from someone. Uh, Her name is Kim Meter. Um, She was on Focus on the Family this past week. And uh, my wife, um, I was uh, working on my sermon in the kitchen. And my wife had some stuff to do. Uh, We were having some friends over. And so she likes to put on a podcast. So she's listening to Focus on the Family. I don't ever listen to Focus on the Family. And this lady was on it and she was unbelievable, just powerful stories, and I couldn't help but listen. And, and, and God said, you know what? T- tell this story. Uh, Kim, um, to give you just a little backstory to set up this clip, she met God when she was nine years old on the week of the greatest tragedy of her life. Uh, it was actually the day that her dad murdered her mother and then killed himself. And it was on that day that she actually met Jesus. Now she's married. Uh, She and her husband actually run this horse ranch where they rehabilitate horses that have been abused or hurt. And uh, they do that alongside of kids that have had massive trauma in their own lives and help to rehabilitate those kids at the same time. And, And she says that she had been working lately on practicing this idea of pray, listen, and do. Pray, listen, and do. And uh, this is where we pick up the story. Psalms 37, 23 says that he wants to be invited into every detail of our lives. So Lord, where do you want me to go? By picture frames. Answer was strangely immediate, goodwill. Awesome. I love goodwill. It's like a giant yard sale every day. And so instantly shopping these affordable aisles with my little blue basket, gather up a bunch of frames, go to the only checkout line that's available, 
And as I stepped to the next position in line, that's when I heard the young woman who was serving a man say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to do this transaction. I'm going to have to call for help. So she called for help. Help came, cut right in front of me. She was short. She had fiery red hair and laser blue eyes, and she was mad. And she hit my basket and almost knocked everything out, and she goes into the next checkout line, and she opens it up, and she sneers, did you find everything you need? She hasn't looked at me yet. And I said, actually, I found more than what I needed. I'm going to do the speaking tour, and, and I found more than what I was even looking for. Oh, that's great. What do you speak about? And so I gave her just a, a thumbnail, and I said, I get to speak about hope and a little bit about the ranch. Oh, that's great. And she's checking through all these frames. And then this beautiful young woman rocks back on her heels and starts to shout in my face, I'm so glad that you talked to people about hope because I'm sick and tired. Nobody takes responsibility for anything anymore. And I'm sick of it. I'm just sick of it. And I rock back on my heels and I'm like, oh my Lord, what do you want me to do with that? And like a bell on a clear day, I can hear the Holy Spirit say, I want you to point blank her with what I've done for you. And I got to be honest, my first response was abort, abort. <laughs> she's mad. The guy behind me's mad. Everybody's mad. She's not going to hear it. Lord, it's a bad time. It's a bad time. Really? Okay. <sighs> I'm going in, God. <laughs> so I read her little name tag and it said, Angel. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. He does. <laughs> and so I say, Angel, honey, you're right. I'm so glad that I get to talk to people about hope because hope is so vitally important to our heart and for our life that without it, everything is meaningless. Hope is so important. I remember not only the day, but the moment that genuine hope came into my heart. And that was the day that my dad murdered my mother and took his own life. And that was the day that I met the author of hope. That was the day I met Jesus Christ. And he's been in my heart ever since. And she just went, <gasps> she didn't move. She didn't breathe. She stood there with her shoulders up to her ears, staring at the floor for what felt like a day. She looked like I had shot her with an arrow. After a long moment, she starts to exhale and her shoulders start to settle down. And as she's raising her eyes to meet mine, they're flooding with tears. And she goes to open her mouth and these two huge heavy streaks go down her face. And this is a young woman who just screamed in my face. Mm -hmm. Now she is speaking in a voice that I can barely hear. It's the voice of a little, little girl. And she says in this tiny whisper, I've never shared this with anybody. When I was 12, my mom killed herself right in front of me. And all I did was just open my arms in that universal gesture that, oh, baby, this hug is for you. It was like throwing a life ring. She wanted that so desperately. She didn't even go around the counter. She launched up onto the checkout counter, put her knees on the counter, and just buried into a total stranger's neck and just wept and wept and wept. And right there in the checkout line of a Goodwill store in a little town, 
one former orphan got to introduce another orphan to the love of Jesus Christ. I love that story. The power, right? There's emotion. But, but I don't love it probably for the reason that you think that I love it. Yeah, I love the fact that she was able to share that moment and share the love of Christ. But, but what I love about it, the testimony that helps to unveil a little bit more of the weightiness, the, the, the reality, the glory of who God is, how, how, how heavy and real and vast he is, is, is that some 30 or 40 years later, after Kim first met Jesus on the most tragic day of her life, the day she becomes an orphan on earth, she gets adopted by her heavenly father. And now 30 to 40 years later, that transforming love continues to change Kim's own heart. That she can look past a rude, angry young woman and still share that love that's transformed her and offer it to others. And man, when I hear stories like that, like test, I'm like, like that's like, that's like, that's like the, the big backhoe pulling. St- it's not just a little shovel. That's like showing me like God, right? Like I'm like, man, that's, that's who God is. He does that. Friends, all of us, every single one of us carries really high, really heavy loads into church every single week. And sometimes it feels so heavy that it feels like it's going to just Take us right over. We sit there waiting and wondering and asking. That, that's, that's the reality of Advent. Advent is a season where, where we force ourselves to wait. And waiting's hard, but our waiting is not without an expectancy. And the reason that we wait and can wait with joy and look forward is with every shovel that we remove that reveals the glory of God. Yeah, like all of us, our lives are not perfect, right? There's stuff up here. But if you want to be a follower of Jesus that learns how to wobble but not fall over, that always happens when we expose who God is. And we do that by remembering what He's done in our lives. By choosing to believe and doing the things that help us do that, even when we don't feel like it, and by listening to the stories of others. That's what I think our text today shows us. That's the kind of church we want to be. A church that's not afraid to acknowledge that there's disappointment in life and hardships and difficulties and things that people do to us. and That's real, but you know what? We have a God who's bigger. So the goal is not to simply hold on to God more tightly. The goal is to recognize that God wants to hold on to you. Last week, Dave talked about the fact that we so often, in waiting, try to control things, right? We try to control things, and and what happens is we inadvertently push God out of our lives. What Dave reminded us last week, and what I think our text this morning reminds us, is that when we can open up our hands and release control and invite God in, He begins to show us how big he is. He even begins to help us work through all the stuff up here. 
Some things in this life, he's able to help us release and they fall into that ocean of grace that we, that we live in, in Christ. Some things we don't get answered. But God, as our weight, as our anchor, holds us fast. And we can be a church that lives in that space. And so what I want us to do right now, I just want you to take one minute of silence to sit before God, and if you're willing to hold your hands open, and just simply ask God this question. God, what do I need to do to unearth the weight, the glory of who you are this week? Is there something you need me to do, something you want me to do? And let's just sit and see if there's something God wants to say to you, all right? Father God, thank you for this time of Advent when we wait. God, sometimes in the waiting, it's really, really hard. God, would you give us another glimpse, a greater view of how big you are, that you hold us even in the midst of the storms of life. You don't let us go. You're big enough to handle our doubts, our questions, our fears, you're not afraid of that. And in those moments, you remind us of what you've done in our lives. And day by day, as we seek to follow you and engage with you, you continue to unveil more and more of who you are. And God, we praise you and thank you for the stories of others who give us another picture of how amazing, beautiful, powerful, weighty you actually are. May you be glorified in our lives for the sake of others and your kingdom. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey guys, if you would love to have someone just to pray with you, pray over you, pray for you, we're going to have some folks up here that would love to do that this morning. Uh, I just want to thank you for being a part uh, of our church. I love being with you guys and I can't wait for next week. Uh, next week is our Christmas service and uh, we're going to be able to talk about uh, some, well, just know it's going to be really good. I can't wait to share it with you. Uh, we also have a Christmas Eve service. So uh, there's a lot of folks. Let me just tell you this. There's a lot of folks that are willing to go to church around Christmas because it just seems like a nice thing to do. And uh, there's a lot of folks in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces that need Jesus. They need to understand uh, what it's like to know that God who anchors us. Um, so would you give them the gift of maybe inviting them, inviting them to church, inviting them into your home, inviting them into your life so you can share what you've seen of God. Folks need that. Let's do that together, all right? Love you guys. See you next Sunday.